Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Today's episode is all about the passing of the Queen and the UK's new Prime Minister. It's been a huge week for the UK, but it would be inappropriate for just the three of us a sloppy, dumbass Americans to discuss this alone. We needed somebody who is English. So we've brought in one of our listeners, born and raised in England, currently lives in Canada. Megan, welcome to the show, Megan. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Where in Canada are you right now? I am in Ottawa, Canada's capital city that nobody knows exists. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, first of all, this is super surreal. I have listened to everything you've done since I was about 13 years old, which Aww. is more than half of my life. So that's a bit weird. But a uh, <laughs> bit about me, uh, aside from the fact that I'm from England, I work as a conservation biologist, so I get to save the planet for a living. Uh, but I also do a lot of work to promote authentic youth involvement in the climate movement. So I get to do some cool things. I'm leading the youth involvement at the United Nations Biodiversity Conference. COP15 this December. And I was actually just asked to moderate a panel at the inaugural Women's Forest Congress in Minneapolis this October. And I'm also here on Millennial. So that's kind of cool too. (laughs) (laughs) UN, Millennial. eh, I don't Which one's the bigger deal? I don't know. I was going to say, ask me which one I was more nervous for. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. You just gave a speech at a UN related event this past weekend, right? Yeah, I was actually in the middle of presenting at a United Nations Association in Canada event when I got the message from you, Andrew, about coming on the show. Wow. I am a sustainable development goal impact mentor with UNAC. So what I get to do is help other young people and mentor them as they create projects to create change in their communities. So it's really fulfilling. Fulfilling and important work. So thank you for that. Of course. So we'll talk about many different aspects today. And like I said, this is the focus of the episode. Let's start with general reactions. And Pam, we'll start with you because you're known to be the closest follower of the royals on this panel. I mean, I guess just initial reactions. I think like everybody, I was a bit shocked. I had to check like three different sources to make sure that I wasn't being punked by Twitter because, you know, obviously she was very old. But I think like everybody, I thought she was going to live forever or at least live to 100. So it was just really surreal to kind of like let that sink in. And then also none of us have ever been alive for the death of a of a monarch that is probably the most prevalent monarch that we hear of over here in the United States as well. So obviously, there are other monarchs around the world and there have been other monarchy deaths, but nothing to this magnitude. So I think... Like so many Americans, we're just fascinated by something that is very foreign to us that we just kind of get to watch from the sidelines. Yeah. On that point, I think the most incredible part about all of this and why I think even if you are a critic of monarchies in general or the royal family, you have to be impressed by the fact that this woman ruled for 70 years. You mentioned most of us weren't alive for a changing of the guard before. All people under 70 have never seen a changing of the guard when it comes to the UK's royal family. Right. So that alone just blows me away how long her reign lasted. It's extremely impressive. And And it really is a big cultural moment. Not to be super morbid, but like... 
then you start thinking about age in general and then you realize like this isn't even like the first one we're going to experience in our lives because right. we're still young. So unless something crazy happens like like Charles lives to 130, yeah, we'll be seeing or it. Or we die very young. I mean, either oh, way. Or that, yeah. <laughs> Charles is going to get a bionic heart installed. Oh my god. It just puts a lot into perspective and I I just think that anytime somebody that is such an iconic figure passes, you just start to think about mortality in a completely different way. And that that goes for celebrities as well. So yeah, for sure. One of the things that sticks out to me the most, and I, I don't know, admittedly, a ton about the history here, but I do know that originally, Queen Elizabeth was not in the line of succession. Um, it was kind of thrust upon her when her uncle abdicated. And when her father died, she inherited this role at 25. Yeah, I saw that in The Crown. I can't. (laughs) Andrew's like, I've seen The Crown. (laughs) I know. Um, But I just can't imagine having that level of responsibility foisted upon me when I'm literally still a child. I mean, I think we can all agree at this point, 25 is very, very young. Um, But I certainly understand a lot of the conflicted views that we've seen over the last few days. But I think with all of that in mind, a monarch that has been so recognizable all over the world, even in countries that aren't part of the Commonwealth, it is the end of an era. I think that sums up how I feel too, Laura. I was surprised by how sad I felt initially because I don't consider myself a royalist by any means. But the more I thought about it, the Queen has just always been a presence in my life, whether I was living in England or living in Canada. There probably aren't many days in my entire life that I didn't see her face. She's on every coin. She's on all the stamps. She's in the national anthem. So it's going to change a lot, I think, about the cultural fabric of the UK. And I'm really interested to see what happens moving forward there. Before we get into some of our bigger topics today, it's been interesting seeing how the Internet reacts. There's been a lot of coverage about what would happen to the Queen's corgis, which actually really shocked me. Like, who cares? The corgis will be fine. You don't have to worry about them. Like, people are talking like their their heads are going to get axed off or something without her being alive anymore. It's like, don't worry. I'm sure they got a plan for the dogs. They do. But listen, those corgis are likely very good boys and girls. And I don't think they deserve... (laughs) To have their lives in the hands of a pedo. Oh, Andrew? Yeah. Prince Andrew. Yeah. Not this Andrew. Not this Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that was the concern. They were concerned that the corgis were going to go to Prince Andrew. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> I see. That man, he doesn't deserve to have any level of responsibility, even caring for a dog. I mean, I imagine he's not the one actually doing it. (laughs) I hope not. Right. And I'm thinking, Laura, that maybe it's like, because the article that I read about this said that they would be going to Prince Andrew and then also Sarah Ferguson, who is probably better known as Fergie, because that was like her nickname, right? So this is like weird monarchies. I guess they still live together. I did not know this. They still live on like the same part of the estate, which is kind of crazy. And so maybe Andrew will have nothing to do with the corgis and Fergie can just take care of them. And that will be way better <laughs> than Fingers the crossed. alternative. So. <laughs> well, speaking of animals and creatures who care about the queen, the queen's bees have been informed that the queen is dead. 
And this is actually a tradition that goes back centuries. People saw these headlines and they were like, wait, what the hell? And of course, I had the same reaction as well. In the 18th and 19th centuries, it was believed that neglecting to tell the bees that the king or queen was dead could lead to various misfortunes, including their death or departure or a failure to make honey. So the bees were informed and they have decided to continue making high quality honey. That's a huge relief. When I die, I would like you all to inform your favorite tree that I've died. All right. Just walk up to the tree and say, he's dead. (laughs) And the tree will know who you're talking about. The only reason that I knew about this, and I'm sure there are other people in my boat as well, is because the newest book in Diana Gabaldon's Outlander series is called Go Tell the Bees That I Am Gone. And so when that title was announced, there were a lot of articles explaining what that meant, because I don't think a lot of people are well-versed in Celtic traditions. So that's a fun little pop culture tie-in as well that some of you might have noticed. I just love the idea that the bees would be so spiteful that they'd leave if they felt that they weren't told in a proper fashion. Screw this. This is out there. You didn't tell us. (laughs) Somebody's job is to knock on every beehive and say, by the way. (laughs) I hope they yell it like you're playing bingo and you win. (laughs) The queen is dead. The queen. She's dead. Michelle in our Discord noted she thinks the bee story is adorable. And actually, there's a lot of very old traditions They posted a notice on the gates of Buckingham Palace informing people that the queen had died. It was like two lines, just a piece of paper they posted on the gates. Like old traditions like that are very fascinating. But the response overall has been expectedly huge. So today we're going to look at why there's been so many good and bad reactions, negative reactions, I guess I should say, to the queen's passing To enhance today's discussion, we are striving to replace any of our usual swear words with Shakespearean insults. So stay tuned for those. Words like loggerheaded, hasty-witted, flaxwench, (laughs) death token, dewberry, clackdish, clotpole. This is our very American attempt at... inserting some Britishisms because we don't actually know any. And we were like, well, Shakespeare. Yeah. He was British. Close enough. (laughs) Pam, first of all, what should we be expecting over the next couple of weeks? Quite a bit, actually. This process of burying the queen has already started. It kind of went right into motion as soon as she passed. Uh, But obviously we're... um, This week will be a week into it. So currently, as it stands today, the Princess Royal, who is uh, the Queen's second child, her name is Anne, in case anybody doesn't know, uh, she accompanied the Queen's coffin from Edinburgh to London. And now the coffin is lying in rest at Buckingham Palace in the Bow Room. So that's where she is currently, if you're on Coffin Watch. And then tomorrow, watch. <laughs> tomorrow she will be transported to Westminster Hall, where she will be lying in state. So this will be an entire procession from Buckingham Palace. Uh, king Charles III, who is, of course, the new king of England, is set to lead the procession, which travels from the Queen's Gardens and then heads over to the Mall, Horse Guards and the Horse Guard Arch, uh, White Hall. Parliament Square, stuff like that. There's like a whole map online that you could probably find if you Google this, if you want to know exactly how she'll be getting to Westminster Abbey. Um, So there she'll be. 
begin lying in state and the royal family will be attending a short service given by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And then there will be five days of her coffin lying in state. And this is where the public can come and pay their respects. To accommodate as many people as possible, you can only walk past and just briefly pause. No selfies are allowed, though. So no selfies. I guess some of you are SOL if you were hoping to take, you know, a selfie for the gram. Um, <laughs> and then and then all of this comes to a head uh, this next Monday, September 19th, where the Queen's state funeral will officially take place. Um, the coffin will be taken in a procession from the Palace of West- Westminster to Westminster Abbey. This is also where she was crowned. So it's kind of nice that they're returning her to where her journey sort of began. And then family members will also be following on foot behind the coffin. This is all happening too very early in the morning. For us. 11 a.m. British Standard Time. Yep. For Andrew and I, that's 3 a.m. You know, if this was like 6 a.m., I think I would get up for it. But 3 a.m., that just ruins my whole day. And it's a Monday. Like, I can't I, I can't do that. This always happens, though, even for the weddings. It's like, I guess, 11 a.m., 10 a.m., you know, then you have to get up that early. Yeah. So I won't be getting up. And honestly, like this whole next week feels like one very long funeral anyway. I just want to watch from a historical perspective. Yeah. To be fair to the royal family, I know this sounds excessive, but like my grandma was very Catholic. And even when she died, we had 10 days of praying the rosary because that's what she wanted. So that's 10 whole days of going back to her house and having everybody come over and doing like a service. And then we didn't even have the funeral till like a month later. So I don't know. Seems excessive. But at the same time, people that are religious and like stick to the rules. Yeah. Kind of weird. I get it. I mean, she has to, you know, they have to bring her on one last trip through the country. Like, I totally understand that. But but my point just is, like, I feel like I'm seeing enough in the state-of-day coverage. I don't need to see the live funeral at 3 a.m. For sure. Yeah, for time. sure. I mean, it'd be one thing if an iPhone pre-order was going live that same morning, I would get up, but uh, not just for the queen. I'm sorry. I'm not getting up either. <laughs> Yeah, Andrew's just mad that he can't take a selfie by the coffin. Like, Queen's coffin check. (laughs) Rex in the Discord is saying, it's time to be real to get a (laughs) selfie with the OG girl boss. I'm sorry, I gotta do it. I gotta. I got the be real (laughs) notification. I mean, okay, if you take a selfie, what the hell are they gonna do? Kick you out? And then what? You can't go to Charles's funeral? Ooh, horrible. (laughs) You weren't even invited anyway. There's literally nothing to lose. Uh, How are they going to stop anybody? I just, I don't. This line, by the way, I mean, like, good luck to anybody that's going to do this. It sounds insane. Like, apparently, they're just going to keep it moving so that as many people that can can file past the coffin. So that basically means that you're committing to staying up for hours and hours and hours until. I heard it's a 35. It's going to be they're estimating a 35 hour wait to walk mm-hmm. by the queen yeah. for two seconds. Obviously, I can see we why have some people... dedication. We have like um, lying in state for some politicians where people can go and, and do this, obviously. Has anybody here ever gone to one of those? I haven't, but I've never been on the East Coast, so it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be accessible. No, I've, I've never no. done that. <laughs> I don't like funerals either, so I don't think I would want to. Yeah. No tents either. You can't bring a tent. Right. I saw this on BBC World News last night. I'm up on the whole situation 
The day of funeral is also a public holiday and a day of national mourning. Yeah, so it's a bank holiday. Um, So banks and schools and sort of the official bits are closed. Um, But businesses aren't actually mandated to close on a bank holiday. And uh, they don't actually have to, to compensate employees. So it is a holiday, but not everybody is getting it. I see. And I mean, is there any kind of holiday pay if you are forced to work on this day? It's not mandated for a bank holiday. So wow. I think some some businesses probably will, but as you can imagine, some also won't. <laughs> That's crappy. Yeah, but definitely seeing it, it more than, than in Canada. So Justin Trudeau uh, announced today, it popped up on my phone, that uh, Canada's making it a federal holiday for a day of mourning. But since actual days off are mandated by the province, uh, my premier has elected to not make it a holiday. So I do not get a day off for the funeral. So it's only really federal employees that are. So each province is making up its mind as to if they are going to get a day off or not. So most people I know are quite upset because they wanted a day off. Yeah. Did they want a day off to grieve or did they just want a day off? Oh, no, they, I think they, they just wanted a day off. Just want to pour one out for the queen, right? I think a lot of people in England too will will not actually be using the day to watch the funeral. Some definitely will, absolutely. But right, yeah, you get a day off, especially when it's on a Monday as well. Yeah, three day weekend. Thanks, Queen. Thanks, Queen. You're a real one. I feel like if you live in the Commonwealth or in the UK, I feel like if you're part of this whole system, you deserve some days off even if you don't care about the funeral processions. I wonder if I could just call in and just say I'm really upset and it's my <laughs> right to uh, to have a day off. Yeah, that's what the queen would want. Yeah, just be like, I'm mourning the loss of my grandmother, pretty much. Who's everyone's <laughs> right? granny. Yes, it's true. Yes. And I, I'm so upset that the corgis are going to Prince Andrew. I need to gather myself for a day. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about the bees. they should have sent prince andrew to tell the bees because if the bees were mad about it he deserves their ire right it's like puxatawney phil can protect spring like the bees would just like break free and attack andrew and that's how we would know if the bees if andrew actually was a pedophile if the bees attacked him Uh, i think we know he actually is Okay, so obviously we've just run through what is happening with the Queen, and now that she has passed, there is a new monarch in the UK, so that's her son, formerly Prince Charles, now King Charles III. Uh, He was officially proclaimed monarch uh, this Saturday following a meeting of the Ascension Council, but he actually seceded the Queen right as she passed. So, like, after the monarch passes, that's when, like, the new monarch basically is the ruling monarch, but we likely won't see an official coronation until sometime next year. So that's another thing to keep in mind is the king, but will not have the official coronation ceremony until much later. Um, The coronation is also considered to be a state occasion, which means that the government is set to flip the bill for it, which is obviously leaving a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because it's a really expensive affair. And this kind of conversation tends to sprout up anytime there's a, a huge royal event that happens too. So definitely not the first time we've seen people upset about this. Yeah. You mean like foot the bill, right? I haven't heard the phrase flip the bill before. I, I was probably like, did. You mean change I don't know. The, I wrote the these currency? up at like two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, flip the bill, flip her the face on the currency? Sure. Okay. Well, Pay that's happening it. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Ugh, it's so unfortunate. I feel like I've seen a lot of takes from people saying it's really just not the vibe to see an old white man on our money now. You know, I think that that's a good point that we missed when we were talking about initial reactions. I think that something that 
nobody can really take away whether you agree with what the queen and the monarchy stands for or not is that she was coming into power when a lot of women did not have power, especially in, in countries that were much more further along in the development stages of power and economy and stuff like that. So it does kind of in a way feel like a step backwards to know that going forward, if the monarchy stays intact, we're looking at three future kings, at least. So yeah, that's pretty interesting as well. And it is kind of crazy, too, that you all change the currency, too. I feel like that must be very expensive. And it would like we don't change currency out for presidents here. We just kind of like pick our faves and stick with them. We put the dead ones on the currency. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. solves that problem. Yeah. The especially problematic ones, too. Those are our favorites right, exactly. to put on our currency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looking at you, Jackson. <laughs> I did want to point out, though, you know, speaking of the costs related to all of these events, the funeral, the coronation, Sarah in our Discord just pointed out, didn't they just spend a bunch of money on the Platinum Jubilee as well, um, celebrating the Queen's very long reign? So there's that to remember. And then I know Megan has some points for us a little later in the discussion about the economic state of affairs that is probably fueling a lot of this frustration. So we'll get into that a little bit later on our discussion. But Megan, so as somebody who still has family over in the UK, you know, you grew up over there, what reactions have you been seeing? And of course, Canada's tied into this too. Yeah, I'd say my social media is probably a 50-50 split between the outpouring of support and the calls for justice. Uh, But I think my favourite reactions that I've seen are every single brand under the sun seems to have come out with a post on Twitter about their feelings. Uh, My favourites were condolence posts by Anne Summers, which is a lingerie and sex toy company in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) They they posted a big... uh, Memorial to the Queen, the British Kebab Awards uh, that every year award the best kebab in Britain said how sad they were. And then Shrek's Adventure Attraction in London. Oh, no. Um, they, they also offered their condolences. So it seems like everybody's trying to outdo each other. And there's some hilarious posts on social media about all the... Any sales discounts, because that's the thing we like to do here in America. Right. Yeah, like our President's <laughs> Day sales. Heinz Ketchup in the UK, I saw, posted a, a tweet as well. Oh. All, it's so funny that the brands feel the need to get in on it. I guess they just feel like if they stay silent, that's inappropriate too. So it's kind of like a can't win situation. I guess you could just go silent for two weeks, but you can't do that either because you got to keep your engagement numbers up. Yeah. <laughs> and the queen loved ketchup, right? So. Oh, yeah. So it was her favorite <laughs> condiment. <laughs> She, she she spit it out at the dogs for fun. Uh, but yeah, in terms of what's happening on the ground in the UK, uh, my mom and dad are there right now. Um, so I asked them what they're seeing. And, you know, as you'd expect, the news is everywhere, no matter where you look, every television channel, radio station, every newspaper. When you go and stand at the bus stop and wait for a bus, there's a big poster of the Queen. I had a friend who was in a supermarket the other day and everyone had to stop for a minute of silence. So it really is sort of all encompassing everything you everywhere you turn. It's always there. Um, and, and then sort of speaking of my mom and dad, I, I asked my dad specifically uh, because he has quite a complicated history with the monarchy, which uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit later as well. Uh, but he was actually quite pleased uh, because there were some planned strikes for railway and postal workers happening. Um, but out of respect for the Queen, they decided to call those off. 
And that meant that he could actually go and watch his favorite football team play uh, because the trains are now running and he could get there. So definitely a mixed bag of reactions. And then, of course, we have uh, all of the official media response from the BBC, uh, which has been really interesting uh, to kind of see that move forward all the all these sort of rules that seem a little bit strange you know they're required to remove all of their comedy programs during the 12 day morning period I know there was a lot of uh, everyone was panicking that the great British bake-off was going to be delayed but it's not thankfully oh, they oh. announced that it's, it's oh going my God. forward as that's scheduled all I care about that's good to <laughs> right? know we Americans love that show too but I know I know they were talking about like RuPaul's Drag Race being delayed well that show's not funny in my gay opinion but go on sorry All the male presenters have to wear black ties. But yeah, all the scheduled programming was essentially pulled uh, and they're just playing lots of reruns of documentaries of the Queen over and over and over again uh, in different channels. Uh, The radio stations all have to play ambient, calm, non-offensive music. This is fucking fascinating. This (laughs) Oh, sorry, not fucking fascinating. This is... uh... Cockered fascinating. <laughs> the BBC and affiliates, it's it's like government owned, right? Like the broadcast stations yeah, over there. Right. Okay, yeah. Th- so that's, I don't think we would ever see that over here because uh, all our stations are privately owned. But it's interesting to see how much pull the government has to implement all of this across everything. And I guess they don't really care because, you know, they're not really working with advertiser dollars in the same way as you know, say an ABC out here would. The private stations are also kind of following suit, maybe a little bit less and not as extreme. Yeah, because then you look like, uh, hold on, let me let me pull up my list. You look like an artless, bat-fouling barnacle if you don't follow suit. <laughs> well done, fam. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> it These rules are, are fascinating. I love the no comedy on, on the BBC channels for 12 days. It's like, you aren't allowed to laugh there's no joy allowed in your life. Solemn music. This is all part of Operation London Bridge. I mean, we've seen that trending and floating around. And that was the official plan that, uh, you know, the whole thing was approved by the Queen in advance of what would be happening when she died. And the fact that they actually had like the BBC TV presenters rehearse announcing this news, they would use code names and practice what would happen when the Queen died. It's fascinating, but it's a bit morbid. See, that does not surprise me at all as somebody that has been in news for many years. And like, I mean, I think I've told this story many times before, but when my first internship was at a broadcast news station and one of the tasks was to keep the obituaries updated for prominent figures. So to me, I'm just thinking like hearing you say, oh, all broadcasters had to wear black ties. I'm just thinking about how they had to pull those out from somewhere because, you know, they already had them ready to go. On the day that we heard the news that she was ill and and family are coming to visit her, I was reading like, you know, like live coverage on the New York Times. And the New York Times had noted that the BBC already transitioned to black ties and uh, black suits because they were basically anticipating that they were going to have to announce her death imminently. Yeah, it is fascinating. But then you think about all the preparation that has had to take place. And yeah. you know that even though it's a really sad occasion, some of these broadcasters have been waiting their whole lives to deliver big news like this. Like, that's a huge moment for everybody involved. One of the legendary BBC news anchors right. did deliver the news. You can wa- mm-hmm. You can find the clip on YouTube and all the BBC channels suddenly cut to just him to make the big announcement. I saw it on Twitter basically as soon as it broke because I happened to also be on the Royal website at the time and I clicked over to the homepage and suddenly it just turned over to the news. So I saw it the split second 
that that they officially announced it. And so then I hopped over to YouTube TV to watch BBC World News Live, and I caught the moment live. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. Again, I'm not a fan of monarchies or the royal family, though it is fascinating to watch it all. But just from the historical perspective, this moment, it's it's a very interesting moment for the world and, and the UK to follow. The timing of the Queen's death is also very interesting because just a couple days before, the UK gained a new prime minister, and we'll talk about her in a moment. But first, Megan, and you've touched on this a little bit so far, there's been some other big news happening in the UK. What's been going on over there? Yeah, I'm not sure how much attention it's gotten outside of the UK, but there is a massive energy crisis going on right now. Um, A lot of people in the UK heat their homes with natural gas, over half of which is imported from other places like continental Europe and the Middle East. And the ongoing war in Ukraine, combined with other factors like COVID supply chain issues, means that UK residents are seeing ridiculous price increases um, on heating their homes going into winter. Um, I didn't realize how bad it was until I talked to some people that I knew, but it's predicted to lead to an 80% increase in household bills in the UK. And about half of UK households could fall into fuel poverty, which is defined by having to spend more than 10% of your disposable income on energy. And to put that in numbers, uh, the average family could be paying the equivalent of 5,000 US dollars more for their bills next spring than they were before if the government doesn't do something about it, uh, which is staggering. Like if you imagine trying to just pull out an extra $5,000 into an already inflated price system, people are really struggling. I have friends right now who are having to choose between paying their heating bills and being able to afford to eat. And, you know, especially going into winter, people need to heat their houses. I I know people that have taken on second jobs and uh, not even joking, have actually started rationing how many times they boil the kettle to make tea, uh, which for a British person is devastating. That's a big deal. (laughs) It's a big deal. You need your tea over there. Yeah, because it's all gas too. That's, I think people tend to forget that, that stoves are, a lot of stoves operate on gas if they're not electric. So... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when you're having to choose between heating your house and buying enough food to feed your family, something's gone really catastrophically wrong in the system. So with all of this leading up to the Queen dying, it's it's really easy to see why some people are upset at the grandeur and opulence of uh, the royal family that's being flaunted. Just to put that a bit more into perspective for people, do you um, could you kind of give us an idea about on average how cold it tends to get in the UK? Yeah, so not extreme cold, like where I live now in Canada, sometimes we'll get like minus 40 degrees. Um, But the problem in England, like it does, it will drop below zero degrees Celsius. And I don't know Fahrenheit, so I can't translate that. But that's below 32 then. Yeah, it's pretty cold. It's a damp cold as well. And houses are not built in a way to kind of insulate them very well. There's a big issue um, with people trying to insulate their houses now. But of course, it's, it's more expensive to do that as well. So it's, it's going to be rough. People are going to die because of this. And with climate change, all of this gets even worse. I mean, we saw examples during the summer of massive heat waves hitting the UK that literally melted a tarmac at Heathrow Airport, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We had Texas, too, out here in the United States a couple of years ago with the big freeze. I mean, all of that has to do with the global climate change crisis. So 
it's an uncertain time for sure. So how does this news relate to the people's response to the queen and the monarchy on a whole? I think just it's hard to, I don't want to say it's hard to care, but when you're considering selling your car or not being able to feed your children, yes, it's sad that the queen died, but you have bigger things to prioritize. And if, you know, if you've got a bank holiday that you're not getting paid for, or, uh, you know, you have the choice of, of mourning the queen and watching the funeral or going to work because you have to afford to be able to pay the gas bill. I think I know what people are going to choose. Especially when you consider the fact that the woman was 96 years old. I mean, yes, there there is that sadness that I think we all were able to sense from this. But if you're, you know, staring down the barrel of potentially paying $5,000 more come next spring because of this energy crisis. I'm sorry, but a 96-year-old woman dying of old age is just not going to top the priority list in terms of what you should care about. And then also probably doesn't leave a good taste in people's mouths to know that they basically just had a huge celebration of life in her honor. I know that they, um, when Prince Philip passed, it wasn't as grandiose as it could have been because of the COVID era. But I think that that also proves that this also does not have to be a huge affair, even though she had a higher ranking. Yeah. And this is an urgent issue. And you just got in this new prime minister. So you want to see her jump into action to meet the moment, which actually leads us into our next point. Let's talk about Liz Truss. She is replacing the slubbering, beef-witted barnacle Boris Johnson. Whoa. I have to admit, and Megan, I'm so glad you're here to demystify some of this for us because I'm confused by her. I feel like she has held some radically different positions over the course of her political career. Prime example, she previously was extremely anti-monarchy. And I remember seeing this old footage and thinking, wait, she's a Tory, right? Like, is this normal? for Tories, but she changed political affiliation, right? She did, yes. Um, so, But you're right, though. Like, to generalize, I think a lot of Tory or conservative voters do favor the establishment, and you don't get any more establishment than the royal family. Uh, but Liz Truss did make some comments back in 1994, I think it was, uh, about abolishing the monarchy. And it's worth noting that at the time, she was an activist for the Liberal Democrat Party, so not a Tory at all. And this flip-flopping that she's been doing on so many issues that she seems to just be following the trends of what she thinks people want to hear as opposed to actually expressing her views is just one of the many things that people find a little problematic about her. Yeah, and you know we have it noted here in our doc that she's a divisive choice for prime minister, but... You included some really interesting nuance here that I think, you know, from an American perspective, we're thinking about elected presidents. And that's not how prime ministers are put into office. Could you explain a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I'm not an expert on the UK political system by any means. But essentially, when you vote in a general election, you are voting for the party, not the person. So even though Boris stepped down, the Conservative Party is still in power. So it's their responsibility to choose a replacement. The next general election isn't set to happen until 2024, unless it happens to get called early. And this vote uh, that Liz Truss won is only open to due paying members of the Conservative Party. 
So essentially, the new prime minister was chosen by a very small number of mainly old, mainly white, mainly rich men who represent less than 0.5% of the British vote. So already people don't like that. And then um, even then, between her and her opponent, she barely won that vote. I think it was one of the closest margins of her actually winning anyway. So even her own party didn't necessarily really want her. Interestingly, like I actually didn't really know who she was until a couple of weeks ago, unlike Boris Johnson, who was very much of a figure uh, before he became um, prime minister. She has just sort of quietly slipped away. I mean, she's been in the system. She was the equalities minister uh, appointed in 2019 and has a very sketchy record there as well. But I don't know a single person, conservative, Democrat, or otherwise in the UK that actually likes her, which is a little concerning. Especially concerning when you consider some of the positions she's taken lately, right? Absolutely. So um, climate, obviously a big focus for me as a conservation biologist. And in her first major policy address, so where you would assume she would talk about things that matter the most, she announced an end to the uh, moratorium that the UK has on fracking. Uh, which has been banned since 2019. She is vocally opposed to solar and wind projects and claims that fracking will help with the UK's energy crisis, except nobody else, including the experts, agree with her on that. You know, as it's been proven time and time again, fracking can cause earthquakes, lead to dangerous methane leaks, water pollution and health issues. And um, worth noting that Liz Truss is a former employee of Shell, And her newly appointed business and energy secretary is a climate change skeptic. So there's a lot of interesting undertones and uh, people are concerned about what this is going to mean for the UK and its climate policy. Yeah, no, no conflict of interest there, right? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I was reading about her, one of the first things I saw was that she was initially anti-Brexit. And then after Brexit happened, she suddenly became very pro-Brexit, which I think speaks to your point, Megan, about her just sort of choosing the position of the day that she thinks people want to hear. Agreed. And I I think there's enough glaring red flags to make people nervous. So as I mentioned, she was the equalities minister in 2019, uh, but she did so little to advance LGBTQ plus rights that people actually started calling her the Minister of Inequalities. Not a great look. Um, She's made transphobic comments. She repeatedly has said that trans women are not women and that she aims to protect single sex spaces like changing rooms and bathrooms. Uh, It's also been rumored that she's trying to block Scotland's Gender Recognition Act. And, you know, but there are some things on the board there that you know, maybe point a different direction. She has voted in support of gay marriage in the past, but, you know, there's enough there that people are understandably worried about what policies she's actually going to make and if she's going to be progressive enough for what the majority of the population want to see. Yeah, I thought it was pretty chilling. Um, One of her recent statements um, about sort of the state of UK politics and the Conservative Party, she said that conservatives should reject the zero-sum game of identity politics. We reject the illiberalism of cancel culture, and we reject the soft bigotry of low expectations that holds so many people back. 
this was so chilling to me because it reminds me of a lot of our extreme right politicians here in the States who love to use wokeism and cancel culture as these like boogeyman buzzwords. So to see it reflected also in the UK just reminds me of, you know, how often political trends between the UK and the US are really in lockstep. We're very close allies, and it's clear that we mirror each other in a lot of ways. I saw there was a note here on inflation issues. Did anyone have anything to add on that? No, I think the only thing I'll add, so with the energy crisis going on in the UK, obviously that conflict of interest there, but her approach seems to be bridge the gap with taxpayer money instead of asking the energy corporations who you know are profiting hundreds of billions of pounds off of all of these price increases. Yeah. People are not happy about that. I also think it's just an interesting observation to point out that the monarchy, it's not a ruling monarchy. They don't make political decisions. So while I completely understand people being frustrated about the expense that the royal family uh, brings to the UK, especially in the midst of an energy crisis like this. Sometimes I think people forget that the royal family doesn't have anything to do with these kinds of political decisions, and they should instead be focusing on their elected officials. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, just a note on inflation. Um, so annual inflation reached 10.1% in the UK in July, which is the highest level that it's been in 40 years. And the trends are just looking worse and worse. Yeah, we've had similar scary numbers here in the U.S., mm-hmm. including a new report just this past week or just this week, which has not been good news in terms of our recovery. And, you know, kind of speaking to some of those trends that, you know, a lot of them can be worldwide. But in thinking about the relationship between the U.K. and the U.S., it feels like there are some similar story beats along the way here. Um, I think one of the most Recent examples of this was Brexit and Trump. Uh, They both happened in the same year within months of each other. I remember thinking, if Brexit goes through, then that is not a good sign for November here in the States. And then we know what happened. But I was just thinking, you know, if we think about the, quote, special relationship, as it is called, between the U.S. and the U.K. more broadly, our nation's you know, do have an unparalleled level of cooperation in a number of areas like trade, intelligence sharing, and military strategy. You even see it when you look at the relationships between previous prime ministers and U.S. presidents. You know, Ronald Reagan and um, Margaret Thatcher were quite close, um, as well as, you know, Clinton and Bush were both working pretty closely with Tony Blair. So I'm just wondering, you know, and this is a question for the panel, do we think that based off the direction we're seeing in the UK with Liz Truss, um, should we be paying attention to where the UK is headed ahead of our own elections? We have midterms coming up in November and a 2024 election. I I think so, because I think it falls in line with what we have been discussing over the course of the last uh, few months leading up to midterms, which is that we cannot discount the idea of, you know, a final push on the Republican side to uh, gain more seats uh, over in the Senate and in the House as well, which, as we all know, can really mess up um, any sort of plans that Democrats have to push 
certain bills forward. And and even if Biden stays in office, if that happens, then it could really mess up any plans that he has going forward to try and push some things through that could potentially be very helpful. So just further proves that it's important to vote because we've already been kind of cautioning our listeners at least to stay vigilant on that because you don't want to stop and then have us regress back towards something like what the government looks like when Trump was in office. So, right. It's so important to point out that, you know, Trumpism is not something that exists in a vacuum. Extreme right wing tendencies have been, you know, cropping up all over the world. But I think, you know, looking at the UK being one of our closest partners and allies, we should really be paying attention to what's happening in that space as we look forward towards our next elections. By the way, I just wanted to add here, I intended when talking about Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, I intended to call Reagan uh, Craven hell-hated death token Ronald Reagan. Incredible. (laughs) I'll let people who have opinions about Margaret Thatcher fill in the gaps for her. Dankish, dizzy-eyed, coxcomb Margaret Thatcher is how we should have introduced her as well. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but, you know, it's, Me neither. it sounds, it sounds very scathing. <laughs> so we'll take it. There's a big question, of course, especially during a time like this, during a period of transition. Should there be a monarchy, period? We hear from plenty of people saying it should be abolished, especially right now with the Queen's passing. But... Let's first, I thought, consider how the royal family gives and takes from the UK, because this is a point of contention that gets brought up. So first of all, how much do the royals actually cost the people of the UK? The royals receive money via the annual sovereign grants. The sovereign grants value is determined by how much money the crown estate real estate portfolio has brought in each year. And those profits go to the UK Treasury. And then the HM Treasury sends the royals a 15 to 25% cut of that. The sovereign grant actually just replaced a different system just 10 years ago. The sovereign grant was 82.4 million pounds in 2020. A 2018 estimate put the cost to taxpayers at less than a pound per average taxpayer. So really, it doesn't cost taxpayers much at all. And it's not a huge number at all when you compare it to, say, military budgets. Or I was trying to think of something comparable in America that brings in a lot of tourism because the royals bring in a lot of tourism. Um, Look at the Smithsonian Museums in D.C. New York. Those request a billion dollars in federal appropriations a year. A billion dollars for those museums. They're free to go in, just like it's you know free to walk out front of uh, Buckingham Palace. The royals really don't cost UK taxpayers much. Megan, would you call this assessment fair or am I missing a huge? No, I mean, that was my understanding of it, too. I uh, okay. I actually learned, I learned something in that. Oh, great. Excellent. <laughs> I will, you know, to play a little bit of devil's advocate here and try to understand where maybe opponents are coming from. I can understand, especially given the current state of affairs, why, although... You know, this is costing very little per taxpayer. I can understand why taxpayers would be frustrated in thinking we have paid to, you know, uphold and support this institution for, you know, ever, basically. Like, I mean, the queen was like older than dirt, right? And 
I can see people thinking, why don't you help us for a change? Like instead of having these very opulent displays, why not help your country by contributing some of those funds to help cut down on the costs people are going to have to pay for their gas? Yeah. That would never happen, of course. But I can understand why somebody would feel that way. Yeah, I agree. There's always that question of like where this money could be going. You know, it's still 82.4 million pounds in 2020. That's a lot of money that could be spent doing something uh, really important. But I also wanted to address how do the royals add to the UK economy? They contribute an estimated, it's just an estimate, but it's a big one, $2.7 billion. That's 1.9 billion pounds annually, according to Forbes. Most of that comes from tourism. For example, 3.25 million people visited Windsor Castle, Buckingham Palace, Clarence House, Frogmore House, and other properties in the year before COVID. So over 3 million people in just the space of a year. Another chunk of that total in terms of the Royals' contribution to the UK economy is free media coverage. That is estimated to be around $400 million in free media coverage. That is something I hadn't thought of before, but it's so true. Look at all the coverage here right now in America for Queen Elizabeth on the news. Look at coverage of the royals in general. Now, all of it's not very good. Let's look back at that Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan. Some of it's awful, like that interview with Harry and Meghan. But it's still putting a lot of attention on the UK that wouldn't be there otherwise. And that attention and seeing Buckingham Palace and hearing about the royals, that drives people to want to go and visit and stand in those red phone booths and and go onto those double-decker buses and and buy a pint in uh, the, the bar that Tolkien would frequent. Like, this draws in a lot of attention and tourism for the UK that they would not have otherwise. Of course, there's plenty of other reasons to visit England, but this is probably the biggest reason of all, I would say. And you go, Pat, you know, I've been to England many times. You walk through the gift shops and, and through the airport and all that. You see royal family merchandise everywhere. You know, they do add a lot to the economy and there's massive issues with the family and we will get there. But it's important to consider that they are a huge chunk of why the UK is so popular and gets so much attention. It's true. I think people are fascinated by them, yes. right? Because they're the sort of entity that's always been there and you don't quite understand them. But you can sit down and watch The Crown on Netflix and get all the juicy gossip. And uh, Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I, obviously having grown up in England, I've never been to Buckingham Palace. I, I've never seen any of sort of the royal stuff because it just... You even like stood out front? No, Buckingham Palace? No, oh, I've I never have. been there. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got to, a stupid American. That's so like priority number one. Get drunk in a pub and go to Buckingham Palace. It's a beautiful area to walk around too. Yeah, maybe I'll do it one day, but yeah, no, I haven't. But all the people that want to go are tourists. It's probably not worth the fuss, right? Because there's so many people there. I feel you. It's like I have to work myself up to going to Pier 39. In San Francisco, which is not the same, but you know, you kind of know that you're going to deal with crowds and right stuff like right. that. So there's also taxes paid on the, their massive ass estates and excess revenue uh, that's generated by the Crown Estate, and like we said, that goes back into the HM Treasury. And a recent example of how royal events can draw a lot of money into the country, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, which we mentioned earlier. 
This past June reportedly generated over six billion pounds as people spent money on celebrations. So that's, say, businesses throwing parties or people coming in to London for the celebrations and then spending money at shops and restaurants. You know, so it all it all trickles down back into the UK economy. So there's a lot there's a lot of good there. (laughs) And I think if we learned anything over the past few days so far is that people really do love this damn family for all the problems that are associated with it. So what do the people of the UK think? I found some interesting polling by YouGov. By the way, we have a really great site for sorting through data. 62% of Britons think the monarchy should continue, with 22% in favor of an elected head of state instead. Britons have consistently been in favor of the monarchy, but support has declined by 13 points over the last year, over the last 10 years. The younger generations are least in favor of a monarchy, no surprise there. A majority of Britons, 56%, believe that the monarchy is good for Britain. But of course, the Queen just died. We'll have to see how Britain and the rest of the world reacts to King Charles being at the helm, King Charles III. The Queen was very popular, of course, but Charles, not so much. A lot of it stems from Diana, of course, the whole family, and including the Queen, fucked up the whole Diana situation, too. Prince William, I was reading, is actually more popular than Charles, so interest in the family might not decline but he's also kind of on the outs, yeah. given the whole Meghan Markle situation and also some recent allegations of cheating that have gone on over the past few years. So it's like, I, I mean, but yes, I think in general, especially because they're Diana's children, Princess Diana is still so beloved. And I think that anybody who grew up in that era, which I know Laura and I have talked about, like our mothers being big Diana fans, and they're obviously not the only ones. I think that 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 really kind of helped the whole world kind of have a a vested interest in her children, which are now, you know, grown adults. And as a result, now there's a vested interest in their children. So it's interesting kind of to see the trickle down effect of what transpired because of, you know, the good that she did when she was titled and alive. I think, though, some of (laughs) some of the antics that you were alluding to, Pam, really contribute to a feeling of like we're taking a step down with who our monarch is going to be. I mean, you have Charles who had, you know, all of the drama with Diana um, and Camilla Parker Bowles. I can never think of him without thinking about the fact that there's audio of him saying he wanted to be Camilla's tampon. (laughs) And then you also can't forget, you know, Prince William and these pegging allegations. Although, yes, that's, I wanted that's, to bring this up. That's pretty sexy. I mean, that might help popularity. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's sexy, Laura. <laughs> bring pegging back. Laura's an anal. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you want about this family, but they've got all kinds of drama for us, you know. And, you know, Megan, <laughs> you mentioned a couple of minutes ago why people are fascinated by the royals. They're just kind of like a higher power even though they aren't. And I think we over here in America are fascinated by royals, so fancy, so above the rest of us. They're like these godlike figures. I heard somebody trying to like compare to what we have in America. Like what's comparable to that? Would have been the Kennedys, but they're long gone. Well, yeah, the Kennedys are like celebrities, like a Kardashian family, for example. People just see them as as these higher powers. They're incredible. They can do no wrong. I don't think any of us feel that way, but 
that's that's the best we've got over here is is the Kardashians. Maybe Beyonce. Beyonce, yeah, but like a family, you know, like the Kardashians, that's a whole empire. That's true. I think people forget that they're real people sometimes. It's just this larger than life entity. And Laura, you brought up Camilla, and I think that that is definitely something that having Camilla now be the queen consort is rubbing people the wrong way. Um, you know, some people might consider her to be a goatish beetle-headed codpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get one in. It's incredible. <laughs> I go kind of like back and forth. I think ultimately that whole situation was tragic. And the way it played out, like the reason it played out the way it did was because Charles just wasn't allowed to marry who he wanted to marry. There's definitely some some weirdness. I mean, if you remember back to, you know, the early 90s when a lot of that was coming out, Pam and I were actually talking to Chloe about this the other day. She hadn't heard about Tampon Gate. She didn't know about it. So when Pam shared the the audio, she actually found like a dramatic reenactment of it for Chloe. She was completely shook. And I'm like, yeah, imagine being, you know, five <laughs> and hearing about that. Um, My mom was just like, go to the other room, you know, because obviously it was on all the um, on all the TVs or I think like, I don't know if your mom used to do this to Laura, but even with like the whole Bill Clinton sex scandal, anytime we were in line at the grocery store and they would always be like the tabloids would be right in front. She would be like, no, stand over there, and look at the candy because, you know, at that point, my brother and I could read. And she was like, this is inappropriate for children. Yeah. Nah, my my mom was never mm, my mom was concerned like, about must that. Shield the, the young <laughs> mind. She was like, they're going to see it anyway. That's true. I mean, and we did, obviously, yeah. like, even if we didn't really understand the, the gravity of what was happening. So. So, Megan, how are Canadians reacting to this news and what do they think of the monarchy on a whole? Yeah, so I think I think like a lot of Commonwealth countries, Canada's talked about separating from the monarchy for years. Uh, quick refresher, if you don't know, Canada is a constitutional monarchy, which means the king or the queen is the head of state, but they don't have absolute power. Canada has a constitution, um, and so it's limited what the royals can actually do um, by elected officials. So in March 2022, I looked up some stats and the public opinion firm Research Co. put out that only 20% of Canadians express an outright preference for Canada to remain a monarchy. And so there's been so many calls for people to, to leave and for Canada to leave the monarchy. But in looking into it, it's not as simple as it sounds. Uh, so in order to actually remove the monarchy from Canada, it would require Parliament, the House of Commons, the Senate and all 10 Canadian provinces to unanimously agree to amend the constitution. And Lord knows that's not happening, right? Like they're never <laughs> yeah. all of them going to agree on the same issue. And then another interesting point that I hadn't considered at all is how it would impact our indigenous communities. Uh, the treaties with uh, Canada's indigenous communities are signed with the crown. And many of them consider those their relationship to be with the crown as opposed to being with Canada as a country. And I'm not, you know, a constitutional lawyer by any means, but the way it was explained to me, the way Canada has it written in its constitution, it would actually be easier for the UK to get rid of the monarchy than it would be for Canada to get rid of it. And I think just with all the other issues going on in the world, this might not be the highest priority. Yeah. Also feels like it's by design. 
Yeah. Mm. I was going to say, yeah. I think it's really <laughs> important to keep that in mind, especially going into um, the other thing we wanted to talk about this episode, which was colonialism and how that's always going to be tied with the monarchy. Um, I just think that, you know, it's really easy for people to forget how hard it is for countries to pull out of even the Commonwealth, because there's so much more to consider, including what how that could affect the economy if they suddenly decide to become a republic instead. And then you talking about the treaties, which is something that I would have never considered, but it seems like a lot of red tape to to go through and then to have to spend time to reenact those so that they stay in place. It just seems like a lot of work. So let's discuss the colonialism angle here. I was reading some writing on this over the past couple of days, and one piece that I read on NBC News noted that the current queen and the royal family's legacy is largely defined by the British colonial empire that enriched itself through violence, theft, and oppression. This piece went on to say, while Elizabeth ruled as Britain navigated a post-colonial era, she still bore a connection to its colonial past, which was rooted in racism and violence against Asian and African colonies. There have been growing calls in recent years for the monarchy to confront its colonial past. On confronting its past, there have been some apologies, but there's still calls for reparations and working with the people of these colonized countries to right the wrongs of the past. And that hasn't happened yet. Megan, how was colonialism taught in schools in the UK? Poorly, in one word. Poorly? Poorly, yeah. So growing up in the UK education system, my history classes mostly focused on how impressive and powerful the British Empire was at its height. (laughs) And really, colonialism was framed as a good thing. At the time, I was honestly too young to think for myself about it. But if I think about the main points that I remember, colonialism is why we have tea and sugar and everybody now lives in one big happy commonwealth. I certainly wasn't taught about stolen lands, stolen artifacts and all of the genocides that followed. So that was in the UK. And then when I moved to Canada, I'd like to say that it improved. But honestly, a lot of what they taught me there was woefully inaccurate as well. You know, you've touched on it. The British Empire left a lot of scars all over the planet. And in Canada, that was the genocide and mistreatment of indigenous peoples. And it's something that doesn't get enough attention even today. And in fact, Canada's last residential school, which is where First Nations, Métis and Inuit children were separated from their families, culture and language, didn't close until 1997. So we're not talking about ancient history here. Mass unmarked graves of children who suffered in these institutions are still being discovered. And, you know, that generational trauma for these communities really runs deep. So to be completely vulnerable here, it's been such a learning journey for me, both to acknowledge my privilege and to learn from the indigenous peoples in the area that I now call home. It's not my place to speak for them, but I'm trying to put in the work to hear their stories and unlearn some of the biases that I've been taught. But it's also slightly complicated for me as well, because although I consider myself English, that's where I was born and where I was grew up. I also have family history of my own colonial trauma in my background that I'm still learning about. And really, until the Queen died, it's something I hadn't really started unpacking at all. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. It must be tough because you grow up learning about allegedly how great 
the monarchy is and colonialism is. And then you start slowly learning about what was really going on. And it's like, oh, shit, this is kind of like a big revelation for me. Yeah. And not shit. Oh, frothy, fen-sucked dewberry. I can't <laughs> believe that everything I learned actually isn't true at all. I think that's exactly how I phrased it as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think we can identify with a lot of that being American, Mm. you know, American history taught to Americans omits a lot of the uglier chapters of our history. And only now are people starting to have the realization that what we were taught in school about our nation's history, um, even though we're not, you know, we don't have a colonial empire, I think that we definitely mirrored some colonial tendencies. The way that that's taught to us is just really in the form of what Shakespeare might call artless flybitten canker blossoms. Like, it's just, it's complete bogus, and it sets people down the wrong path of thinking that their nation's complete identity is rooted in, you know, all of this grandeur and, you know, justice, even when it's not. Um, And I think learning to confront that has to be really difficult, especially when you're looking at a royal family that doesn't talk about it, doesn't acknowledge it, even though these atrocities are still coming to light every day now. In terms of only learning about certain things relatively recently, a good example for us Americans is Juneteenth. Yeah, A lot of people, myself included, we were not educated on Juneteenth growing up. Yeah, I didn't know. We can talk here maybe about some of the takes, because, of course, everyone's had a take about the Queen's death. And you see a wide gamut of reactions from people who are, you know, deeply saddened by it and are very pro-monarchy, all the way to people who are members of these communities that have borne the brunt of all of the negativity of colonialism speaking out and saying effectively good glad she's dead yeah yeah because of what she represents to them it's true and i see part of my family is is one of those so my dad and his ancestors were all born in ireland and because of that i hold irish citizenship as well and ireland has a really complicated history with the monarchy they gained independence from the uk in 1922 but Um, Northern Ireland chose to stay and that's caused nothing but tension ever since, you know, decades of violence with the troubles and people dying. And, you know, even if you go back to the Irish potato famine, most people learn that, you know, the crops failed and there was no potatoes and everybody starved to death. But in reality, the English actually exported food from Ireland in a time where there was a humanitarian crisis leading to millions of unnecessary deaths and displacements. So, you know, my own ancestors suffered because of the monarchy. I found it interesting. There's been a quote that's been uh, floating around social media. It resurfaced recently from Patrick Frayne. It was originally about the uh, Prince Harry Meghan Markle saga, but it really sums up, I think, how some people are feeling because of all of this. And it's having a monarchy next door is a little like having a neighbor who's really into clowns and has daubed their house with clown murals, displays clown dolls in each window, and has an insatiable desire to hear about and discuss clown-related news stories. More specifically, for the Irish, it's like having a neighbor who's really into clowns, and also your grandfather was murdered by a clown. Wow. 
I, I also just love the wordplay here, clown and crown. Yeah, you, you, I, I misspoke it in that quote. It's, it's, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the issue is that so many people that are kind of uh, refuting some of these tweets that people are putting out or comments people are making about saying, good, I'm glad she's dead, are not taking into account the fact that slavery is obviously something that we do not partake in now in the year 2022. But that does not mean that the remnants of what slavery did to all of these countries um, is not still being felt. And I think that um, you can even tie that back to how the global political economy works today. The only reason that the UK has all its wealth, the only reason that America was able to prosper is because we benefited from the slave trade. Um, and you know, that's something that you cannot uh, run from. And I think that even if you take it uh, down more, you know, to a localized level, if for something even like in, in America, you know, uh, the fact that a large population of people that live here are descendants of slaves, just like they are over in the UK, those families are still feeling the remnants as well. There's been, uh, you know, statistics that have proven that it's harder for young black kids to get ahead in terms of school because they're still feeling the results of Brown versus the Board of Education only passing in 1954. All of that is recent history and all of that is tied to the, you know, history of slavery in this country and the British monarchy you know, fed into that as well. Um, there was also this report that came out. I don't think it was necessarily new, but it was pointed out a couple of years ago that when the British government outlawed slavery, uh, they actually ended up taking out bonds so that they could pay out 20 million pounds in compensation to slave owners for the financial loss of freeing their slaves. And all of that money took so long to be repaid that the British government was only just finished paying that off in 2015. Wow. Holy. So, yeah, it's just like to realize that up until recently, taxpayer dollars were going to paying off reparations to slave owners when there have never been reparations to actual families who suffered as a result of slavery. It's just awful. It's history, but it also isn't. We can't run from that. Yeah, these people are still hurting, and this is why the family needs to talk about it. And they can't sweep it under the rug and hope that it's going to go away. It's not. The pain is going to continue. And I, I have to imagine that for a lot of these people who you know are happy at this turn of events and who are anti-monarchy, they're probably thinking, you know, Queen Elizabeth was such a force that potentially her death destabilizes the monarchy and not to put too fine a point on it but it, it it could be one of the final nails in the coffin if you're someone who is hoping to see the monarchy dissolved yeah it's going to be very interesting to watch we we just don't know it's too early to know where this is all going yeah uh, i don't think charles is going to be doing the family any favors i'll say that much for sure no, uh, something interesting that I had read about him, though, is that he's done some work to slim down yeah. the royal family in terms of, like, who gets to be a working royal and who's just, like, an extended member of the family and doesn't get all of the titles and privileges that, you know, previously would have come to them. Um, so it, it could be that he's 
looking at the modern world and thinking, you know, sort of the old standard for the monarchy might not fly. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But I just wanted to, you know, conclude my points here by saying that I've seen a lot of shit talking, or excuse me, a lot of droning, boil-brained horn beasts on social media Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. responding with these like terrible takes to people who are members of indigenous communities, members of Commonwealth communities who've spoken up and said, good, glad to see her go. And, you know, tried to shush them and tell them, hey, this is not the time to be political when, I'm sorry, the circumstances that have led these people's lives to have the number of complications that they have are political. So you can't tell somebody, don't politicize this when everything that has happened to them socially and economically happened because of politics and happened because of the monarchy. I mean, even the the palaces they live in, so many of these old palaces are built yep. on the backs of slavery that directly funneled money into the economy. Yeah. We're going to start wrapping this up, but Megan, as our guest, any closing thoughts on all this before we move on? No, I think you've summed it up really well. And I think that all just puts into perspective those of us who have benefited from colonialism, whether you're citizens of the UK or Canada or anywhere else, maybe put that into perspective when you're getting upset at someone for not sharing a social media post. It's far more complicated than just that. Absolutely. Megan, thanks so much for everything you contributed today. We couldn't have done this without you. Like, Really? You you added so much to this discussion. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. You are anything but a mammering bat fouling barnacle in my opinion but that's just my opinion oh that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me thank you (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna change gears for after dark today we are going to have our first edition of what we're calling hyposuck everybody knows muggle suck by now it's where we uh were gossiping about working on mugglenet.com the harry potter fan site back in the day but pam and i in hyposuck will recount some drama from working on my entertainment website over the nine years that it was running for example who drove me absolutely insane on a daily basis and still unfortunately drives me nuts who tried to burn the place down on his way out and who caused the shitstorm on movie twitter and had to head into hiding because he was getting attacked so much. All of this and more in the first installment, the first of several installments of Hypersuck. That'll be at patreon.com slash millennial. We also just had a really fun Bay hangout last week. That's where we hang out with the Bay level patrons on Zoom for an hour. Always a really good time. We just chill, talk about what's going on. We actually had the Bay hangout on the day the queen died. So uh, half of the chat was about that. And then we talked about new iPhone features that make it easier to cheat on your husband or wife. So it was a good time. Let's move on to some recommendations now. I want to recommend, related to today's discussion, BBC World News. And I've recommended them before. It's on most cable uh, subscriptions that you get here in America. I really prefer it to CNN and MSNBC because it's nonpartisan. It's straight up news. And they just do quick interviews about the news. 
with experts. They don't even give their guests the opportunity to plug anything. I was watching live one time and a guest almost promoted their book and the host cut them off, the anchor cut them off and said, ah, 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 no, we're going to have to leave it there. We can't have you promoting your stuff. That's the good quality journalism you get at BBC World News. I would like to recommend Ben and Jerry's doggy ice cream if you've ever been looking for a sweet treat for your furry friend. Um, Canella just celebrated her 10th birthday yesterday. Um, I'm a little misty eyed about that because she and I, she and I have a lot of miles together. Um, but I wanted to get her something special and I noticed the grocery store was carrying these little miniature doggy sized pints of ice cream that's basically just frozen yogurt with, you know, banana and crushed pretzels in it. So um, it's very tasty. She loves it. I will say as a note of caution, these, even though they are small, they are still pretty high in calories. Um, So if you have a smaller dog like I do, just remember that it is a sweet treat. You don't want to let them eat the whole thing in one sitting because they're like 225 calories each, which for Canela is like pretty much half of what her daily caloric intake should be. So, you know, just be careful. Don't don't let them get sick off of it. But it was really delightful. I have pictures of her like excitedly lapping at that thing. And when I tried to take it away from her, she like lifted she was standing on her back legs <laughs> and Aww. perfectly balancing to maintain access it was very cute just like me when somebody tries to take away ben and jerry's ice cream from my right, mouth exactly <laughs> well i know that we've recommended this show before but given the nature of this episode i wanted to re-recommend the crown on netflix if you have not watched this yet and you want some more royalty because it's definitely a good place to get uh, a good sense of, you know, all the old school tea that was going down when the queen first came into power. Jury's still out on how accurate it is, depending on who you ask, but it is a good time and it just really sucks you in. You can prep for the next season, which is sure to be a bombshell. It's coming out, I believe, next year. So it's a good time to catch up. And Megan, do you have a recommendation for us? Yeah, for my recommendation today, I'm going to put my conservation biologist hat on and recommend that people go and connect with nature. And I got some pushback in the planning doc for this one. So I want to clarify. (laughs) No! I think some people believe that in order to experience nature, you have to go on a six-hour hike and get sweaty and dirty, but you don't. Connecting with nature can be something as simple as taking a walk through the park, bird watching from your window, or one of my favorites is actually reading a book under a tree. So even if you don't like being outside, I challenge you all to go and connect with nature in a way that feels safe and accessible for you, or just go and watch a David Attenborough documentary that works. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. I was just, so Megan had written in our doc, go outside, and I wrote, ew, no, but I was totally kidding. (laughs) I love being outside, of course. I'm sorry that if it felt like I put you under pressure to justify your recommendation. It's an excellent recommendation. Oh, no, it it made me laugh. I I enjoyed it. (laughs) And Megan, where can we find you on Instagram? Yeah, so if you're interested in following along with all of my nature United Nations adventures, you can find me on Instagram at right to ride. That's W R I T E, the number two R I D E. Excellent. 
We'll have a link in the show notes as well, and I'm sure we'll tag you on social media. Megan, thanks again so much. So, so much. Oh, it's so nice that I'm talking to you and you're actually responding. You haven't done that for the last 13 years. (laughs) (laughs) So glad this worked out, even if the circumstances are kind of unfortunate. Yeah, thanks, Queen. Yeah, thanks, Queen. Oh, the Queen brought us together. You must be ecstatic that she died. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Oh my gosh. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're a millennial show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. Though on TikTok, we're millennial pod. And like I said, we'll tag Megan on Instagram. Make sure you follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review if they allow you to. You can contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Megan. Cheerio. Bye, y'all. Bye.